The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Don't be scared now, but it looks like you just wandered straight into you mind country. That's you mind, short for unaffiliated mind games, and you ain't never gonna be the same again. Brace yourself. It's time for Red Hot Truth Injection. Oh yeah! That's right, bitch. We're rounding up the sheeple and shaking them awake. You mind? Too damn bad. We're gonna set fire to the wool over your eyes. Feel the burn, baby. Hot damn. We're toppling the lies of the lamestream media one by one. Woo-wee! Watch them bad boys fall. Hey, Universe A. This is Universe B, Colin, and we're going to tear you a new one. You mind? Okay. Hey, everybody. Uh, It's me, Napoleon Doom again, and I am here with our very special guest, Scott Lost. Hi, Scott. Hello. Now, Scott is a former professional wrestler. He is the founder of Pro Wrestling Gorilla. And a five-time world tag team champion. He is currently one of the founding members of the Accidental Aliens. And he serves as both artist and co-plotter for Second Shift and the Wanderers of Melisanda. So, wow, that's uh, that's quite a resume there. <laughs> so, um, my goodness. But I want to start by talking a little bit about your past. Because your background's so unique. Um, now, you're my age. So um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm guessing that you probably grew up around the time of Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Randy Savage. Yes, yeah. Uh, those those were the guys that I was watching initially when mm-hmm. I first started watching wrestling. And there were guys like Bret Hart. He was in the Hart Foundation, mm-hmm. and that was actually my favorite wrestler, um, even when he was in the tag team for whatever reason. And then as time went on, he became. Uh, more prominent in the WWF and then WWE later on. So, uh, yeah, so that's that's the time, Shawn Michaels and Rockers and all that. Yeah. So now what takes somebody from watching wrestling to actually want to get involved? Well, I was, uh, so when I was a teenager, I don't know, I got a, are we allowed to cuss on this? I, I, uh, you sorry, you I may know. cuss. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> if it's too well, bad, I will feel- Leave you. I feel about cussing that I've asked about it. Um, (laughs) That's weird. Uh, I don't know. I got a weird uh, stick up my butt about uh, performing matches on my trampoline. Mm -hmm. And because I was watching so much wrestling, and in the 90s, wrestling was insanely popular. Yeah. So, like, the wrestling in the 90s was like between 96 and 99. It was really nuts. And so, when I was probably about 17, 18, I wanted to start performing matches on my trampoline. I had a bunch of friends that also liked wrestling. Mm -hmm. So I would actually write the matches and we'd perform them on my trampoline. And one time, uh, one of my friends, he brought his best friend who I'd never met before. And he actually wanted to be a pro wrestler as well. Uh, Or he wanted to be a pro. I didn't want to be a pro wrestler. I actually just liked performing the matches. Mm -hmm. And uh, But I met him and he actually wanted to be one. And he had found... We did some matches, and then we found a flyer, or his his girlfriend found a flyer to UPW, Ultimate University, and that's like the same place that John Cena trained at, and uh, up in LA. Wow! And like you gotta you gotta come with me, 
And so we went up and we watched, we watched a practice and it was a lot of guys that were our size and our age. And we're like, Oh, we can, we can actually do this. Like, cause everyone on WWE, they were like over six foot on tons of steroids. Um, at that time in the nineties, mm-hmm. steroids were rampant. And, uh, so we saw a bunch of guys, our, our size and our age and we're like, yeah, let's, let's do it. So we started, started training and like six months like six to eight months later, we were, we we're having matches and it's usually about a year, um, uh, before you start having matches. Huh. So we, we, we started pretty quickly. Um, we we're pretty advanced. What is the process sort of from beginning to end to entering the pro wrestling circuit? You kind of said you, you started doing matches, you, you went there. Uh, how, how does that go? Well, you, you, usually you find a place to get trained at, mm-hmm. uh, back in the day, a lot of times they would actually just throw you in the ring oh, wow. and, the old vets, uh, this was like way back in the day, like maybe 70s or mm-hmm. something early. And they would just kind of like rough you up to make you, to see if you would be tough enough to keep having matches. But um, by the time I started training, it was like, no, you just go to school and you get taught to ha- how to have matches, perform moves, stuff like that, and uh, bump in the ring. And so Ultimate University uh, was UPW, and they had their own shows, so we started wrestling on their shows. And then at that point, other smaller companies, um, if you showed any promise, they'd actually start reaching out to you about having matches on their shows. Hmm. So uh, before we knew it, we were, um, um, we actually became a tag team, me and the guy that I, I had uh, met and was wrestling with on the trampoline. And so we actually became a tag team. We were actually pretty popular right out of the gate. We were um, like pretty innovative and like high flying and stuff. So we're entertaining to watch. Uh, so we're all over the place, like pretty quickly. And then you eventually went on to, f- um, you, you founded pro wrestling gorilla. Mm-hmm. So that, that's amazing. Um, now what made you want to, uh, found your own, uh, wrestling? What, is it a federation? Is it a. Yeah. Yeah. Promotion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Promotion. It's uh, usually the word, uh, federation is, yeah, another, another term for it. Uh, it was more so we just needed more places to work. Uh, mm-hmm. at the time there wasn't a lot of places. There would be small companies that would kind of pop up and then they would last a couple of months. And then most of the time the promoters realized we're not going to really make a lot of money on doing this. And then they would close down. So we needed more places to work. So we figured, um, me and a lot of the top guys in, in SoCal, um, at that point, by the time PWG came around, I was I was one of the top guys on in, in SoCal. And so me and five other members, so there's PWG, there's the six of us, the PWG six. And so we formed Pro Wrestling Gorilla just just to have another place to work. And it was really popular. It kind of became an all-star show. because uh, a couple of the guys that were booking, it's like they only wanted super high-end talent on the mm-hmm. shows. And um, then we started flying guys in from the East Coast. So at, at that time, that was pretty rare. So a lot of shows in SoCal, it was just Southern California wrestlers or NorCal wrestlers coming down to SoCal. And those were the majority of the matches. So to get like uh, a East Coast guy was a big deal. And uh, we started getting a lot of East Coast guys in because we knew uh, being wrestlers, uh, some of the other wrestlers knew them. Yeah. And so we kind of had a bit of a deal. And we would fly them in, and then they'd kind of cut us a little bit of a deal uh, to to wrestle out here. But then before we knew it, we we're making good money on the shows, and and so that was like less of an issue. And we all kind of got a bump in pay as well, which was nice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, that was the whole basis of us starting our own Fed. Yeah, 
Uh, that's, <laughs> I think that's fantastic. And then you went on to eventually become the five-time PWG uh, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla Tag Team Champion. Yes. So. Yeah, I was a tag team specialist. I always, I don't, my brain always worked like like in singles, I was good too. Mm -hmm. But um, I kind of liked organizing chaos, so like figuring out what people were doing, like multiple uh, uh, people doing at once. Like, yeah. okay, what is this? doing and my brain just worked well at that um so I, I spent a lot of time in the tag teams and towards the end of my career i i was spending a lot of times in in singles i was mostly doing singles yeah do you have a signature move a lot yeah i have a lot that was that was one thing i think that i was known for i was pretty innovative um i would think of like really cool uh, so in wrestling terms spots spots mm -hmm. are a series of moves uh like a chain of events and I was really good at creating good, like unique chain of events. And so those are spots. So I would do a lot of cool spots and I had a lot of cool signature moves. And um, uh, my finisher was the Big Fat Kill, which is named after Frank Miller's Sin City yeah. uh, series. So which is like a spinning hook kick to the face. And usually they'll be on their knees. Um, but then sometimes I would do it while they were standing. So that was like my, that was my finisher and then my signature signature move that i would hit every single match was the superman spear and uh, essentially it would be the guy would be in the turnbuckle in the corner and i would run from the far turnbuckle to him and i would basically jump off from the middle of the ring mm -hmm. i would just run jump and i would shoot like a torpedo into their midsection while they were in the corner in the corner excuse me so that was that was my uh signature move that wasn't my finisher yeah Wow. So uh, taking names like the Big Fat Kill from uh, Frank Miller's Sin City, it sounds like you were always pretty invested in comics. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually inventing moves based off of stuff I would see in comics and cartoons and stuff like that. Like I had this, uh, it's like a, I would call it the bat stomps. It was like these foot stomps out of the corner. So like if someone shot me into the turnbuckle, they would run at me and I would put my back on the top turnbuckle and I would lift my feet up in the air. And so I would put them on their chest and they would, uh, I would basically jump on their chest from the standing position out of the corner wow. and I would, I would land on them and then I would roll off. And it was based off of the intro to Batman, the animated series where, uh, did you, did you watch Batman, oh, the animated oh, series? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was my favorite. I never missed it. <laughs> So the opening scene of the, the intro is the two bank ro robbers on the roof, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're like looking around and then they see Batman and he like pounces on one of them and then he flips and he rolls off. Oh, and wow. I was like, oh, that's so cool. Like, how would I do that? So I figured out to do those bat stomps out of the corner, um, those foot stomps out of the corner. And so I would land on their chest and I would roll off of them. And that became like a, a big signature move. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah, That's comics were always ingrained. That's pretty fantastic. Now, at what point did you decide that you were going to uh, dedicate yourself to your art and your comics as opposed to wrestling? Uh, the 10-year mark. So I, uh, I actually, I was training myself from a young age to be a comic book artist, like ever since I was a little kid, mm -hmm. um, to the point where during summer school, or not summer school, when during summer break, I wouldn't let myself go play outside until I finished one page of art because I knew that comic comic artists had to finish one comic book a month. Mm -hmm. And so there was, I think, 
you know, back then it was like 20 to 23 pages a story a, a month. So I was like, I basically have to do one page a day. And, um, so even as a kid, I was like training myself to be a comic book artist. Um, but then my teenager, teenage years, that's when wrestling got really popular and I was obsessed with it. And so, uh, when I was like 19 and 20 or like 17 through, through 19, that's when I was really obsessed. And then, um, I was just like, okay, I started the training and I was wrestling by 20. So my family wasn't too happy about that really. And, you know, it's obviously not safe and they're just worried about me. Mm-hmm. And so I said, look, I'm going to do this for a while until I love it. And even if I love it at 30 and I'm not making a full-time living off of it, then I'll stop. And so at about 28 and a half, I was not in love with it anymore. I, I wanted to hang out in San Diego more. Most of the wrestling is based out of LA, like mm-hmm. if you're in California. So like there's a couple here in, in, in uh, San Diego, but not, not as much. So I'd be driving up to LA every weekend and I'd rather stay in San Diego and hang out with my friends and go wrestle. So I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And, uh, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I said, I would stop at 30. What's a year and a half. I'll, I'll stick it out. I'll make it to 30. Who knows? Maybe I'll fall in love with it again, or maybe I'll get a job. And uh, turns out I did fall in love with it again, but that was because I changed the way I thought about matches. Like instead of trying to have the best match on the card, I was just trying to have fun. I was like, what do I want to do? What's fun to me? What, what would be interesting for me to do? So instead of having like uh, a 20 minute indie classic match, I was having 10 minute matches. Cause I was like, I like TV style matches. I like fast, hit them hard, hit them quick mm-hmm. matches. Just keep the action going. And so I started having TV style matches on, on the indies and I was really enjoying myself and, um, uh, fans started reacting to it. And so, um, it was interesting, like going on message boards, like towards the end of my run, uh, I saw a lot of fans say, cause they announced, like, I initially didn't want to announce that I was retiring. I just wanted to, to do the last match and not tell anyone and just like stop wrestling. Yeah. Uh, cause that's my, one of my old tag partners. So that's what he ended up doing. And it was just such an interesting reaction to fans. They're like, where the hell did he go? Like, you know, and so that for years, they'd be like, hey, what's up with Bosch? Is he coming back? And and, and so I always kind of liked that aspect of it. But um, uh, a couple of my buddies, they were like, let's not do that, man. Like, like they deserve to know that you're stopping. And like that was, you know, my partner was Chris, um, Chris Bosch. And they were like, that was Chris's personality. He was crazy. He just like disappeared and it made sense. But for you, you're such like, like I was like a staple of, of, uh, SoCal wrestling. Mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of like, they deserve to know that you're stopping. And so after I announced it, I was just like, oh, I want to see what people are saying. And a lot of people were saying like, well, it sucks because they're, they're like, it really sucks. Cause I'm really starting to enjoy his matches. You know, they've been really fun. And, and I was just like, oh good. I'm glad, you know, that people are enjoying it, uh, even at the end. And the thing that, that bothers me is like, I should just been doing that the whole time. Yeah. I should have just been doing what I wanted to do the whole time instead of trying to have the best match. So, but, um, another reason for wanting to stop wrestling and moving into back into comics was I was getting into comics again, like it, at towards the end of my wrestling career. And I kind of have, I have the ability to multitask, but when I'm trying to, to hit a goal, it's, I need to concentrate all of my energy on it. So basically for 10 years from 20 to 30, um, well, I started drawing again at 29, but I basically took a 10 year break from drawing 
Hmm. And uh, was just focusing purely on wrestling and trying to succeed at doing that. So, uh, yeah. So like at 20, 28, 28 and a half, 29, I started drawing again. And that was, you know, taking my attention away from, from wrestling. Yeah. So now, do you have a favorite, uh, comic book series or even cartoon series? Yeah. Uh, I was a huge X-Men kid growing up. Just, oh, yeah. yeah, it was the best. Um, my first comic ever was alpha flight 23. I believe it's number 23 where snowbird and Wendigo are fighting on the cover. I got it from one of my classmates and, um, cause he brought a bunch of comics to the classroom and, uh, he was just like, Oh, my uncle's Will Portacio. And Wilson was drawing X-Men at the time. And it was like Filipino culture. Like, I don't think they're blood related, but it's like, mm-hmm. oh, he's a cl- friend of the family. So he's an uncle, right? So anyway, so he had given my classmate a bunch of comic books. And so, you know, little kids, they don't have boundary issues or what's good taste, right? So I was just like, can I have one? And he goes, eh, you could hear, here, you could have uh, Alpha <laughs> Flight. And, but I was just like, oh, it's a comic book. And that very night, I asked my mom to take me to 7-Eleven and get um, some comics off the spinner rack. So I was looking for like X-Men, but all they had was like Excalibur. So I got Excalibur. I think it was number three or four. It's like a chaotic cover where Nightcrawler's getting kicked in the butt and like Arcade is in the bottom corner, like laughing and crying. So uh, th- that was my first comic I ever bought. Yeah. And uh, from- To answer your question, X- <laughs> X-Men. Uh, Batman. Sorry, I get off on these tangents. No, it's okay. And then I, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then there was this and this. And I'm like, wait, that wasn't the question. So uh, X-Men and then for DC, it was Batman. Uh, nice. I love Batman. Uh, Nightwing specifically from the uh, Batman series. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I I, uh, I love tangents, actually. <laughs> it, it gives me something to work with. Uh, the, the, the worst thing that can happen in one of these interviews is when you have a whole list of questions and someone's like, yep. Oh, yeah. And you're just, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm, I will keep talking. <laughs> That's not a problem. Yeah. Like, we could, like, we seriously could just delve into that. And, like, that could be the entire inter- interview. Like, we don't need, like, mm-hmm. me mentally, I don't need a lot of questions. It's like, mm-hmm. I could dissect this one thing, like, forever. <laughs> but, yeah. Now, now, from that, did you uh, develop an affinity for a specific artist? Yes. Yeah, when I was a little kid, I loved uh, classic X-Men, X-Men classics, because they had Art Adams covers. And Art Adams was my first favorite artist. Like, mm-hmm. he was the first guy that I was like, yes, like, that's that's the guy. He's, like, the best guy. He's the best artist. And so uh, I remember they had X-Men classic number one in a glass display case at Adam Comics and stuff. Back in the day, it was Comic Castle. Mm. and so they had a glass display case and they had x-men uh classic number one with the art adams cover and it was like i think it was ten dollars or something like that maybe maybe less maybe six to ten dollars something like that and so i was like i have to save up to get that to get that book and i got it and i was like looking through it and i was so bummed out because the interior art was not art adams Mm. and i like, why is the cover so much, why does this art look so much better than what's on the inside? And so that really bummed me out. And then so that kind of, like, to this day, I don't like cover artists. Uh, um, like, I feel like you're, like, the fan, okay, so if you know about it, it's it's not a big deal, right? right. Like, when you see J. Scott Campbell, uh, a J. Scott Campbell cover, you know J. Scott Campbell's not doing the interiors. Yeah. So, but 
if you have a, um, I don't know if you have like, I think if the artist is really good on the inside, they deserve the right to have the cover. Like, mm-hmm. I remember someone asked me once, they're like, oh, hey, do you need like a cover artist for your books? And I'm like, no, like I, I get to draw the covers because because <laughs> I did all the hard work on the inside. Why would I give you the best part of a comic book, you know, when I just did all the hard work, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's kind of like my stance on it. And from that point forward, every time I bought a comic book, I would always open it first to make sure the cover art matched the interior art. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I I think it's one of the reasons I really like uh, Daniel Brenton, uh, who did the Nocturnals. Um, Every, yeah, uh, every single panel is like an oil painting. And it's wild. It it probably takes like two or three years to complete a book. But it's it. And I was always like, uh, you know, that that always was a pet peeve of mine, too, is is like, well, I bought it because I wanted to look at this. And then that's not consistent. So, yeah, that was like a heavy metal, like my brother had heavy metal magazines oh, I love when that. I was growing up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so there was a lot of painted art on the interior and it would blow my mind. I would be like, oh, like, how long did it take to do this? And like, this artist is so amazing that they can, every panel is like a finished painting. And, and so like, even as a kid, I really appreciated that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So Getting into comic books and coming up with your stories, um, did you sort of go it alone for a little bit? Uh, and how did that go? Yeah, um, I attempted my... So when I was a little kid, I never finished one story. Like as much as I, I was training myself to be a comic artist, I would get... I had like comic ADD. Like yeah. I had so many story ideas in my head. I'd draw a few pages of one story and then I would think of a completely different story and then I would draw the cover for that story. And that cover would make me want to work on that issue. So I'd constantly be jumping back and forth uh, uh, between issues and, and, and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, so in the 20s, fast forward to the 20s, I think, oh, when was that? I think it was early on in my wrestling career. I actually did draw for, I think I, I drew for like six months and it kind of divided my time a little bit. But I drew an issue of uh, the second shift. And me and my writer, we actually refer that to issue zero because uh, I started and I finished an issue all on my own. And after I'd finished the issue, I realized, oh, this story's terrible. Like, <laughs> like the story wasn't good. And I was like, okay, I'm an artist. I am not a writer. Like, it was kind of like I had the basic ideas down, mm-hmm. but even then, it was just like, look, I'm untrained. I'm kind of like winging it. And uh, at one point, I had a bank robber literally with a sack of money with a dollar sign on it running down the street. And I'm just like, (laughs) this is ridiculous. Like what's happening. So, um, that was the first full issue I drew on my own and wrote on my own. And so, uh, I stopped after that because it took me so long to draw the issue. I think I actually finished it in pretty decent time. It wasn't a month or anything like that. It was quite a few months, Mm -hmm. but it, it was surprisingly fast for, for back then. And uh, anyway, after that, I stopped. I stopped because I realized I invested in so much time into this issue and the story was crap. And I'm like, I'll, I'll never use this. Like the story's no good. And um, uh, so until I was basically retiring from wrestling, I was kind of done. And then that's I actually met my writer through wrestling. He's actually a pro, uh, former pro wrestler as well. So uh, we would always talk about like Bruce Lee, comics, sneakers, basketball. Uh, you know, in wrestling. So we had a lot of stuff in common. 
and come to find out that he was a writer and he would always try to get me to read his scripts, but they were always like about war mm-hmm. and I'm not really into those, those types of stories. And I always felt bad because he would always give me crap. He'd be like, I always send you stuff. You never, you never look at it or whatever. And he goes, I always look at your art. I'm like, well, you can just look at art. You don't have to read art. You know, it's just, it's look at it and like, Hey, you've looked at it and you're done. It's like, I have to read your entire script. And I'm like, and he goes "Ah, fair enough, you know? And, um, I was just like, how about this? You know, do you want to write my book? And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, okay, let me see if you're good at it though. Let me see if, you know, I actually like your writing. And so him and another friend were both writers and I sent them the basic, same basic idea. Here are the characters. Here's what they're like. Here's their aspirations, their hopes and dreams. This is their personalities. Uh, Have them at a table in a diner sitting and having a conversation. Just let me hear what that sounds like. Both of my writers did it. And my, my writer writer, he knocked it out of the park. The other guy is his uh, heroes were not good. But his villain was really good. So he actually did some uh, writing assists on the first story arc, uh, just like helping out with the villain. So but then after that, it was kind of like just my my full time writer, uh, E. Bronson. So he he started doing everything after that. Yeah, very cool. So you're starting to come together with other people. And eventually you will go on to uh, be one of the founding members of the Accidental Aliens. Uh, so how did how did that come to be? It's actually from San Diego, San Diego Comic Fest. Oh, okay. uh, we we met at Comic Fest. So I met the very first year I was there. I had my writer with me and another artist that I knew from wrestling. He happened to be there. And so I kind of just buddied up with them for the first year I was there. The second year I didn't. The space was really tight. It didn't make sense for my writer to be there. It was a really small room uh, in the town and country. So I was like, that ah, doesn't make sense for me to tell him to come down for this. Like, it's fine. And um, then the other guy I knew, he wasn't there that year, the second year that I had went. And so I actually had to talk to people around me, which was nice. And because it was such a small room, you can actually get to know people in the room. Mm-hmm. And uh, where I actually met you uh, yeah, a few years later. You did. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah. So I got to know this one guy, uh, Arnie Gordon. And at the beginning, because there's multiple days, right? So one of the days I'm setting up for the day and uh, he comes over and he goes, hey, man, I really like your work. I just wanted to come over and let you know that I think you, you have you have really worked, uh, nice art. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. And then so he goes and he sits down and, you know, we had some some time to just kind of like stand up and walk around because there would be lulls in the room where no one would be there. So I got to go up and check his stuff out and stuff was rad. I was like, oh, man, this guy thinks my work's good. His, his work's really good. After the show was all over, I said, hey, are you local? And, and he's like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, pretty much almost like the large majority of us here are local. And I was like, oh, OK. And I was just like, hey, would you want to like hang out sometime and, and draw? And I'm like, you know, drawing such a solitary thing. Like it would be cool to just like hang out at a coffee shop or something or go to somebody's house and just like kick it and just draw and uh, chat it up. And he said, yeah. And the person next to him was like, can I come? And, uh, uh, Kristen, um, what's, oh shoot, what's her Sirianne is her, is what she goes by like on the tables. So she was, so she wanted to hang out as well. And I was like, you know, hell yeah, the more people, the merrier. And, um, so we started hanging out and she started inviting people and, and, you know, before I knew it, we had like a little group of artists and, you know, people would come and go. She eventually would drop off cause she was concentrating on other stuff and, 
and uh, you know Arnie still comes and goes to this day like he he's you know got other things going on but basically every year I would meet an, another artist or two and kind of pick them up like oh you and I have the same sense of humor we should hang out and draw together it's like okay because like they kind of have a dark sense of humor I have a dark sense of humor and um you know we just laugh it off and it's funny so it's just like okay cool yeah let's let's hang out so yeah that's kind of how the accidental aliens started i just started collecting people from uh uh san diego comic fest and the more we hung out the more it was like i think i was the only one that was doing books like i was actually putting books out and it's such a a good feeling to to put a book out that i wanted to to feel the same thing and so i was like hey let's do an anthology series and you know, we'll all have our own stories and, you know, we'll get six pages each in a cover. And if you don't finish your story, it's no big deal because it's your own story. So if you don't finish, you're just not in the anthology, no big deal. And everyone's like, yeah, let's do it. So we set a date and we kind of set it up and we do it annually now. This actually will probably be our last anthology, hmm. um, but we're going to be doing other series. So um, every March we'll do a Kickstarter from March to April. And then uh, if that gets... If the funds get raised, we'll put our anthology out and we'll have it by May. And May is free comic book day, uh, like the first week, right? Mm -hmm. So we'll have that out in time for free comic book day and it sells pretty well. Um, You know, it's cool because I think think fans are like, if I buy this anthology, I'm supporting all of you, not just one of you. Yeah. And so I I think that's what the, the draw is for those anthologies. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much how we started. Oh, very nice. So you're basically ancient. Uh, I'm sorry. Accident. I always say ancient aliens, and I I know that you've heard me say that before. I don't mean to. The accidental aliens. <laughs> the accidental aliens. Uh, built up your kids. <laughs> Everyone knows it. And those that don't know it, denial. Yeah. They they are a co-op of comic book creators, and uh, they're they're really interesting. There's a lot of really interesting stories that have come out of those anthologies. And um, so, are you thinking of taking those stories from those anthologies and turning them into series, or uh, or is it going to just be? Yeah. Um, so I actually already started doing that. Um, our 2017 and 2018 anthology, I did Wanderers of Melisanda in it, mm-hmm. and so I took those first 12 pages and I just drew nine more pages and I released Wanders of Melisanda number one on its own. So it's a 20 page story or 21 page story. And, um, I'm going to continue it as a series. So, and then the third year, the 2019 was a creature feature. And technically I could have done more wanderers cause there's a lot of like bug people and dinosaur people in yeah. it. So it worked perfectly, but I wanted to try something different. So I did a short story on uh, the kaiju that appears in the second shift. Because what I've noticed that shows is people that pick up the second shift, they don't necessarily pick up the anthology. And people that pick up the anthology, anthology, they don't necessarily pick up the second shift. So I wanted some crossover. So I wanted to go like, okay, the second shift fans, if I tell them that the origin of the kaiju in issue number seven is in this anthology, they might pick it up. And so so that was the hopes. Or people that picked up the 2019, if they liked it, I put in at the end of my story, uh, continued in second shift number seven. Mm-hmm. So, so that way I was trying to get that, that crossover. Um, 
And then this year's, it's a post-apocalyptic theme. And I actually wanted to give one of my oldest friends a crack at, at actually writing something. As long as I've known him, he's he said he's a writer, but he's never written anything. So yeah. I wanted... Yeah, I wanted to challenge him. He has he's a bit of a dark personality, a dark sense of humor, a very dark sense of humor, way worse than mine. <laughs> and um so I was like, Hey, it's a do you have a post apocalyptic scene in your brain or a, a story? And he goes, No. I'm like, All right, well, you know, and I proposed the idea to him. And so some a little bit of time went by, we were hanging out, and he goes, Give me a couple months. And I'm like, All right. So that's what I'm working on this year. Oh wow. Is a yeah, it's his story. <laughs> that's that's yeah. great how it all comes together like that. So yeah. speaking of your stories, now you mentioned Second Shift. Let's talk a little bit about that. Now, Second Shift, uh, we had mentioned it on our last uh, podcast with Travis, is uh, about working class superheroes. Yes. yes. So there's no... Uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to say, um, your question... See your prior questions. I'm hopping back and forth. Um, so that's what I do with my stories. But Travis, actually, he's planning on taking all of his stories from mm -hmm. the anthologies and putting it in one uh, book. Yeah. yeah. So that's what he's actually going to do with his. So we are repurposing our anthology stories, uh, me and him. Yeah. And so I don't know what, about anyone else. Um, but anyway, sorry, going back no, to the second shift. No, uh, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about the second shift. Um, a lot of times in uh, your superhero stories, say, take Batman or Green Arrow, uh, they're, they're people of means. They're people who are very affluent. And yes, of course, they have lots of cool gadgets and super science and stuff like that uh, because they have millions of dollars at their disposal. And right. the second shift crew is not like that. No, they have a beater van uh, that they go around and stop crime in and it's uh yeah a story of a minimum wage superheroes essentially and that's kind of how i elevator pitch it i need to find a better way to elevator pitch it um because when you hear that you think oh they get paid minimum wage to be superheroes it's, no that's that's not necessarily what it is it's it is you know like the every man it's like they go to their normal jobs and then at night they're super they you know the superheroes they fight crime and everything and so it's all about the balance of uh, the nine to five and superhero life. And, um, so they don't have a Batmobile or anything like that. They don't have the means. There's four of them that live in a three bedroom apartment. They have a, a beater Toyota van that they fight crime in. And, um, it was actually the van from one of my jobs. So I used to work at a job, uh, delivering lost luggage. And so we had these little beater Toyota vans from the eighties and they just, they like ran forever, but they were, I mean, they're not the best looking man. Uh, now I love them. I I think they're a really good looking van because I, I draw it all the time. I could actually legit draw that van without looking at reference material. I've drawn it so much. Um, but uh, yeah, it's fun. It's like a fun idea because I remember driving around in them to go to the airport to pick up lost luggage. And I was like, man, this van is such a piece of shit. But it just keeps going. It never stops. And you could fit like a lot of crap in it. So I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good <laughs> It's it's definitely good for superheroing. So, yeah, it's like incognito, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, I actually want to buy one, like a real one, so I can use it for reference photo, like to get certain angles and stuff. Like, yeah. I'll do an interior shot. That's the one thing is I don't have the interiors down necessarily, and so like like no one else is gonna notice. But sometimes I draw certain things different in the van, and it's just like, man, I would love to just have a van. 
and then just take my own reference photos when I'm doing certain angles or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I they're, think... but they're crazy expensive. It's kind of weird. Oh. They're made, yeah, they were made in the 80s. Uh, I think I think that van is from 80, 84 to 88. Wow. And they, like, if you want one in good condition, it goes for four grand. It's like, what? This is a, how many years is that? What is yeah. that? Almost 40 so it's, like uh, 30, 35 years. Well, because now it's vintage. You know? So, yeah. It's just because the engine, it just, they just run forever. Yeah. Like they never break down. So weird. Yeah. I think you're probably okay on drawing uh, the, the the backgrounds inside the, va- the van differently. Uh, one thing I've noticed in rewatching Scooby-Doo, the inside of that van changes. Like sometimes they have a stove back there and sometimes they have cabinets and all sorts. Of, and you're, yeah. Uh, and oh. you're just kind of like, Wow, so now it's like a motorhome. It's okay. Yeah. Good. I mean that that makes sense too though, you know? Like they live out of that damn thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but uh just just yeah, the setup. I believe Atomo said that he never drew Kaneda's bike the same way. Like every time he drew it, he drew mm. it different almost every time. So I, I think about stuff like that and I'm just like, well Yeah. yeah. Like if Atomo can get away with that and his work is like has the most eyeballs on it, right? Oh yeah. Like Akira is a classic. So if everyone can watch Akira or read Akira, and then just kind of let go of the fact that Otomo draws the bike different almost every time he draws it, it's like, all right, well I'm yeah. nobody. I should get away with that. And people aren't paying attention that much, you know? Yeah, yeah. If you're involved enough in the storyline, then I, that kind yeah. of stuff doesn't really matter. Yeah. So um, now when you created these comic book characters, uh, were you inspired by, did you feel there's maybe something lacking in other comic book characters, that, other heroes that you had seen and you wanted to create something different or? No, not, not necessarily. It was more so like, like even as a little kid, I remember Stan Lee saying that you should create your own superheroes and tell your own stories. And like he would say in interviews, he goes, I don't know why these guys always want to draw my old characters and and write stories about my old characters. Why don't they just make their own, you know? And that always stuck with me, like ever since I was a little kid. And I was like, he's right. Why why would I do that? You know, I love X-Men, but I don't know that I ever want to draw Mm X-Men. I think the the, uh, mainstream characters I would ever really want to draw is the Ninja Turtles. It's kind of weird. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's like I've always wanted to have my own characters these characters second shift specifically they've been around since i was in seventh grade so and as i've changed they they've changed um like the main character his his job is was my first job uh he works at fish world john works uh, uh his code name is light shower and he works at fish world and that's like sea world yeah so that that was my first job so um <laughs> And then uh, one character, Eddie, he works at a comic book store. He doesn't get paid a lot of money working there. It's like you get sometimes you get paid in comics, you know, like if you, you're addicted to comics, you would just rather I'll give you this much in cash or I'll give you this much in comics. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you make your decision. Um, Sarah, she's a waitress. Spree is her code name. And she's a waitress. Uh, she has super speed in her arms. Um, so that helps with dishes and serving. Yeah, no. definitely. <laughs> she's not doing that, in, but not in, not in front of people. But um, and uh, Anne, she's the fourth fourth main character, and she actually doesn't have a job. She's a college student, mm-hmm. so 
Yeah. That's a, it's a really interesting series. Um, which character would you say resonates most with you? Uh, so, uh, all of them do for different reasons because essentially they're all me. They're all, they're four different parts of my personality. Mm-hmm. John is the leader, but he's filled with uh, self-doubt uh, on his decision-making. And Eddie is my youth and my sense of humor. So if you're reading Eddie, you're more than likely reading me. You're just like reading how I tell jokes and what I think is funny. And, um, you know, enthusiasm for life. Uh, that's Eddie. And Anne is my analytical side and, you know, just reasoning and, and all of that. And Sarah is the, she's the overbearing big sister. So, and she's very abrasive, harsh, critical. Um, so they're just, they're just four different parts of, of me. Mm-hmm. So, and which also makes them pretty easy to write. So when I read them, I can go, eh, they wouldn't say that, you know, and, and my writer, uh, E. Bronson, he's super good. He's super good because he, he has no ego. He's not offended when I change a scene. He's not offended when I do rewrites. Um, and, and he's just cool. He just knows, like, I know these characters, um, uh, better than he does. And he knows them very well at yeah. this point. He knows them very, very well. So. It's good when you find somebody who you can work with like that, where where it's not a constant clash. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so lucky because I don't know any other way. Yeah, um, I've never worked with anyone else. The um, the other writer, uh, Bob Bob Ramos, he he was good uh, for the brief time that he was there, but he would kind of like, kind of like throw ideas out more than anything, and he would do some dialogue for the for the villain, but the villain's dialogue was very sparse. Mm. So. Um, but it was usually actions and scenes and stuff like that. So um, he was good with that. So there wasn't a lot of back and forth there. And um, uh, yeah, so so uh, Ed, he Bronson, he's just, yeah, he's fantastic. He's just so easy to work with. Very nice. Now, you said that cartoons and comics influenced your wrestling style, but do you think perhaps some of your wrestling has influenced the scenes, especially the fight scenes that you draw? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm huge into choreography because of pro wrestling. Pro wrestling is is fight choreography pretty much. So uh, that's when I do fight scenes, it's like, okay, well, how would, you know, if someone did this, where would their body position be? How would the person react if they were hit? You know, how would they turn? So it, it definitely affects the fight scenes. And it's actually affecting how I'm drawing now. Like it's, it's a... I'm thinking more about what I'm doing. Like, like for instance, when I was wrestling, when I first started wrestling, I was trying to emulate uh, my favorite wrestler, Bret Hart. I was doing a lot of stuff the way he was doing it. And so when I would move a certain way, I was, I was moving like Bret Hart. But after a while, it was just how I moved. But then after a while, I was like, I, my body doesn't feel like that's what I want to do anymore. Like I I want to do it this way. It's not how Brett would do it, but it feels better. And I think it looks better. And then, so I started developing my own style and I think that's what's happening in my art right now. I think, um, you know, art, I said, art Adams was my first favorite artist. My second and lifelong favorite artist is Jim Lee. And so I think, um, I have a tendency to draw stuff that I think that's how Jim Lee draws it. 
And like, I've watched so much of his work that like I mimic his line style or, or whatever, as much as I can. And also to a, another degree, like J Scott Campbell and, um, uh, you know, sometime like Travis Charest or something like that. So, but now I feel like the same part of my wrestling career where I was like, okay, I'm doing this stuff like Brett. Well, now I'm doing stuff like me. Like I was taking stuff from like martial arts movies instead of like everyone was just watching each other, each other's wrestling matches, right. Or old wrestling matches. So mm-hmm. they were kind of, it was like cannibalizing, you know, like everyone was just taking from the same pool. And after a while, I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, what are what are other ways I could look at this? So I started watching like martial arts movies. So I started taking stuff from martial arts movies. And so it kind of changed the way I wrestled completely. And so I would still have those elements of Brett in there. But there would be a lot of stuff around it where it would be integrated, like the, like the martial arts side would be integrated. And um, and it helped. I was taking like judo. Um, and, and so I was having, and like I took Taekwondo when I was younger. So I had a lot of martial arts influences already. So now with my art, you know, I felt like for quite a while, it's just like, I'm emulating my favorite artists, uh, Jim Lee, J. Scott Campbell, Travis Charest. And now it's like, I'm turning to something else. It's like, I need to find, uh, inspiration elsewhere. And so like, now I'm looking at a lot more anime and manga Mm -hmm. and it's like, this is it feels like a parallel to when I started integrating like martial arts into, into my, my wrestling. And it's like changing the way I'm um, drawing certain things like movement. Like I really have a, I'm really trying to focus on movement right now uh, on, on certain, like especially second shift uh, and, you know, especially, well, and also with, so basically both of my titles, Wanderers of Melisanda, it's a manga influenced. Uh, It's kind of, it's kind of like a mixture of, uh, Avatar and Saturday morning cartoons from the eighties and a little bit of Disney. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of feel of that book. It's like a complete opposite of the second shift. So second shift is so American comics dominated that I was like, I need a break. I can't, I can't fucking any more buildings. I don't want to draw any more building. (laughs) Another title. So uh, I was like, okay, they're on a heavily deserted area planet that also has a lot of in certain areas and then other areas there's a lot of brush and and trees plants you know all this stuff and uh you know what i'm not going to draw buildings traditionally they're going to be weird like hodgepodge like igloo you know type things yeah. and and so i was just like i'm fuck it i'm gonna draw stuff the way i want to draw it in this and there's not going to be like a strict rule um you know so it's it's just completely different than what i'm you know what I was doing or am doing in second shift. So, yeah. but I'm finding like now that I'm integrating more manga into the second shift, it's like the wanderers in second shift, they're getting closer and closer in style. It'll never be completely there because when I draw wanderers, it's a, a conscious effort to do it in a manga, um, like manga Saturday morning cartoon style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but that's, I can't even remember your question. <laughs> I hope that it, I, <laughs> so yeah. I just started rambling. Well, that's <laughs> no, I actually, I did want to start getting into talking about the Wanderers of Melisanda. And that one's really interesting. You can definitely see the uh, manga uh, influence in it. Um, I, I feel like 
it's it's got sci-fi it's got dinosaurs um i feel like maybe just because the planet colonization you've got a little bit of like uh aliens thrown in there um it, it, there, there's just a a lot to uh, offer in that series. Um, so, walk us through the story a little bit as much as possible without giving anything away. And yeah, yeah. Uh, so, a thousand years in the future, we start colonizing other planets. We come across the planet Milisanda, where the dinosaurs of that world survived and evolved. The meteor never hit, and uh, yeah. So, the humans at that point were were colonizing other planets, like I said, and so. Uh, we we touch down there, so it's about two dominant species trying to coexist on one planet, mm -hmm. and it never works out. No, <laughs> so, <laughs> but do you, do you it's have hard, a... for, hard for people to get along? Yeah, it's it's hard for people to get along, and then people and dinosaurs. It doesn't always work out like in Dinotopia. So yeah, but, uh, yeah. So I so another, that's kind of like my slightly longer pitch when I tell people about it. But if people are like they want something super duper fast i'll just tell them um avatar the last airbender meets he-man and dino saucers oh yeah nice yeah. i like that <laughs> do you have a, a favorite dinosaur i do not oh. i don't have a favorite triceratops i guess that's like i think that is my favorite dinosaur but it feels so it doesn't feel cool mm. you know like it feels like Everyone knows what a triceratops is. Man, I, I don't know. Have you seen Land you Before Time? Sarah's the coolest. Yeah, Sarah is the coolest. Yeah. I like Ducky, too. Ducky was super rad. Yeah. So. <laughs> I love dinosaurs. Like, the, the messed up part is I don't know a ton about them, but everyone, like, that I'm super close with knows that I love dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. And just, like, I just like them. I like them like I like dogs. Yeah. Except for dogs wouldn't eat us. Well, you know, if given the chance. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's That's some who might, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, and now uh, again, uh, your favorite character from Melisanda? It'd be Mars. Mars. Yes. Mars would probably be my favorite. Um, so the main characters are Lee and Mars, and their their pet. He's like their dog slash horse. Mm -hmm. uh, Charlie was actually the name of my my Dotson that do uh, died like quite a while ago, oh. but. Uh, so that was the name of my my first dog, and uh, he's a giant roly poly. Yeah. In the store, not in real life. He's actually on the cover. Oh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So uh, another element to Wanderers, um, and, and it talks about it in the first issue. So uh, it's not too much of a spoiler, um, but if you don't want to hear this, fast forward it like thirty seconds. <laughs> um, so on the ship, it's so much time has passed that all the DNA that they were able to save from Earth, they're they're inside of the ships. But so much time has passed, some of the files have gotten corroded and distorted, and as it has history, because so much time has passed along, um, that the insects from Earth th that we start repopulating the planets with, um, they're either bigger or smaller, or like nowhere close into size where they were. So that's why uh, Charlie is the size of like a horse. Yeah. Um, because a lot of the insects are, are massive. That's, that, that's good for them because ba back in the day, the insects were, they, they say that the only reason they can't do that now is because the, the atmosphere has changed and uh, their exoskeletons would crush them. But you used to have like dragonflies that were like six feet across and stuff like that. Sure. So I'm, I may be exaggerating yeah. in the size, but pretty big. <laughs> Like, you think about how much of the stuff that's 
extinct, like how much of that stuff would have killed us? Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. So. so it's 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 definitely an interesting concept to think about for a story. So very nice. I get a, a bigger reaction when I pitch the two series for for Wanderers. Second Shift is very hard to pitch to people, mm-hmm. um, just because we're in such a superhero dominant uh, medium. Yeah. You know. Uh, it's moving away from it now, like like it's not as dominant as it used to be. But I think for the majority, when people read indie books, they're looking for something else. You know, like if they want their superheroes, they'll usually go to the big two. Mm-hmm. And like not not even Image Comics really has superheroes anymore, which is which bums me out because I was I was an Image kid. I, f- I was first a Marvel kid, but um, especially in my my young teen to teenage years. It was like Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane, yeah. you know, and so once they created Image, I was like, I'm going with them, you know, mm-hmm. and so I I think I read X-Men for like one more year after they all left, and the art was not up to par, uh, I mean, because, I mean, they were rock stars, yeah. so I followed to Image, I, I think I owned the first like three years of Image Comics, like everything, so multiple issues on a lot of them too, sadly, um, so Ah, oh, crap. What was in point? Why did I bring that up? <laughs> well, that you're, up you're talking about it's difficult to, to pitch second shift. Ah, yes. yes. Thank you. Yeah. So it's so, but like that was the second wave of superheroes that I really liked. I liked, I liked the image uh, characters more than I liked DC when mm-hmm. I was younger. Like, Oh, these characters are really cool. Like I really loved the wildcats. I thought the wildcats had a, like an amazing story. Uh, I, looking like at the time I thought the writing was good. I know a lot of people complain about it, but I was really intrigued with the characters, their origins and everything like that. Yeah. Um, same with Savage Dragon, Spawn, you know, it's just like beautiful art and like, you know, so that's kind of what made me want to do that. So anyway, um, but I feel like Wanderers is the title that's more easily pitchable and people have a tendency to pick that up. Like, especially if they just kind of want one thing. Cause like, I actually do a second shift bundle pack where you get like all the issues for like 25 bucks. You know, you get the first trade paperback and, you know, issue six, seven, eight for 25 bucks. It's like a, it's a good deal. And then I'll include the single issues from the trade as well. And so that will get people. It's like, well, I'm getting more bang for my buck. Mm-hmm. Um, but Wanderers, just the pitch you go, you know, I do that 45 second pitch that I had done. And people hear humans, dinosaurs trying to coexist, and they're like, I could see it in their eyes, like, oh, that sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. So, I really want to get this year. I want to get back to that series. Um, I'm gonna do. Me and my writer just finalized the second issue, uh, dialogue. So um, I'm finishing up the end, the 2020 anthology for Accidental Aliens. I have to do the basic lettering for Second Shift Nine. And then Tristan from the Accidental Aliens, he's going to do like like the fancy lettering, like oh. the effects and stuff like that. Very cool. And then, yeah. And then so once I finish with the basic lettering from issue nine, that's when I'm going to hop back on Wanderers. So mm. it's it's tough. It's tough juggling all these, but it's it's fun. Wow. I, I mean, it sounds like you're super passionate about it. <laughs> that, it I am. Love yeah. it. I, I think about it pretty much all day. Like that's. It's all I want to do with all of my time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's very inspiring to me. I think that the passion part is the part that wanes for me. So it's, mm. uh, just, uh, the, the, the having to perform for people and, uh, yeah. 
<laughs> anyway. It's tough. Uh, it's tough. Yeah. It's like I find because I was doing the first five issues of Second Shift took mm-hmm. me for took me forever. Like I have it. I have a spreadsheet actually. I, I don't know where I have it. I have it somewhere. I have a spreadsheet because I found the release dates because I have them on the inside of the single issues. Mm-hmm. Like okay, issue one came out on this this month of this year, and then the second one came out this month this year, and then so I figured out how long each issue took me to do, and it's crazy because I think I think two, three, and four were my fastest. Mm. Like I I think I did actually I think I did issue one and two the first year I started drawing comics and then I did three, four and five all in one year. Hmm. So that doesn't feel right. I think it was like a three year process for five issues. Hmm. Cause like much like my characters, this, the comics is my second shift. I have, I have a full time uh, job um, with the government. So it's like, I, I get it done as, as much as I can. So hmm. I work, I have two jobs basically. I have my government job and then as soon as I'm off I'm home drawing. And so I spend 40 hours a week drawing comics. Um so but anyway, I think yeah, the first story arc was like a 3-year process and it was just like I don't want to do another big story. I told my writer I'm like we need ones and duns. We need stuff that's going to wrap up in one issue because my brain was like I can't do this anymore. I can't draw this character, this villain anymore. I've drawn him for three years. Like I want to draw other people. So issues six, seven, and eight are all one and done one shots. And so you get to read the story and finish the story. And so I'm able to introduce more villains in, into the series, into the world. And so we're like rounding the world out more, uh, much more quickly. Um, but now I'm getting quicker. So issues nine and 10, it's a two part story. 11 and 12 is a two part story. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Like those will be fun. And it's introducing more characters. Like, you know, I think, I think I have like four more characters, four more villains that I want to introduce. Um, so it's kind of like we're getting there. So I don't need to try to, to push, push the villains out so, so quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, but that also, that's when I started doing wanderers because you just gotta, you gotta change it up. Or else you're going to burn yourself out, right. and that's what affects the passion of it all. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I know that I had talked to you before, and you said that you had learned little tricks to sort of speed up your artwork that, uh, like concept yes. artists use. Can you divulge some of those or those trade secrets? No, yeah, I, I always tell people about it. It's uh, um, I call it the slack method. It's the <laughs> Scott lost advanced comic method or cartooning <laughs> method. Um, it, so I'm sure other people do this too. This is, I'm like, I was not a freaking genius. I didn't, not the first person to think of this, but I started working digitally and instead of working on one page at a time. So, uh, I don't know what your process is. Do you, do you thumbnail out your entire issue Yes. or what do you, what do you do? Okay. So I will thumbnail, uh, I usually thumbnail out the whole issue first and then start working on the pages. And then for a little bit, I stopped doing that. And I started doing like thumbnails for like five. And I'm like, oh, I want to start drawing these. So I just start drawing the pages. And so that's problematic, especially um, 
the way me and my writer were originally doing it, he would wrote prose style. He wasn't writing it comic book style. Mm. So I would read his script and I would visualize panels. So I would doodle on the script, the, the panels. And uh, it became problematic because one of the issues was like 27 pages. I was like, dude, we need to cut some of this shit. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, you need to start working comic method. I'm like, we can't do prose anymore. It's killing my time frame. Uh, anyway, uh, fast forward, I started working digitally. And so I started laying out all the panels. I created the template where you have eight pages on one page. And so I was thumbnailing all of the pages out on this one page. Um, and then so it's about essentially two and a half pages of that because you get like, uh, you know, about 20, 20 to 24 pages or whatever uh, per issue. So I would thumbnail them all out. And instead of working on one page at once, I'd work on eight pages at once. So the, the thing that I found was slowing me down was uh, being stuck doing something you don't feel like doing that day. Mm-hmm. And that's another part of comics that wears on you, that, that breaks you down, is like, okay, I, I don't know if you ever have this. Like, today I do not feel like working on backgrounds. I just want to work on people. Yeah. And, and some days you're like, I can work on all the backgrounds. Like, I'm, I'm a oh, freaking yeah. background. It today, gets right? meditative at a certain point. <laughs> just yeah. window after window. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, I with the Slack method, you are never, there is no waste of time. Like there is no delay in what you're doing. So if that day, if today you only felt like drawing people, you have eight pages to draw people. So you just go from page to page. So digitally, I could zoom in on the thumbnail and just start drawing one of the people mm-hmm. just working on, oh, I want to, I don't like that composition. Let me work on the composition. Oh, let me work on their form or whatever. And if you feel like, so if I feel like, man, my, my, form my anatomy my foreshortening is really strong today i'll go through the pages and just do all of the figure work and then so days where i feel like detailing i can go in there and detail but i've drawn my characters for so long that it's easy for me to draw them at pretty much any angle so it's just like all right well all the forms are there it's like boom 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 you're banging it out before you know it uh know it you have three pages done almost done all at once because you're working on multiple pages at once. And then, you know, like I'd mentioned, the days that where you feel like doing just backgrounds, you can work on all the backgrounds at once. What needs the most attention right now? What's going to take me longer on a day where I don't feel like doing backgrounds? That page, page number five. Okay, that page has a crazy background. All right, let me start going through it. And you start going through it. And before you know it, you have you have cut down on your time. So, um, I was averaging 20 hours per page Hmm. uh, initially. And with the Slack method, I cut it down to 10. So I cut my time in half. Nice. uh, By doing, yeah. So that's the major, that's the major uh, development in my, in my drawing that helped out a lot. And the more recent one was actually something I heard from uh, the cartoonist kayfabe channel on YouTube. It's Ed Piscor and Jim Rugg. Hmm. Um, They're, they're both well-known comic creators so they have this channel and they were talking about how even if you did one panel a day all year long, you would have at least 55 pages done a year. Yeah. And I was like, that's more than I get done a year. And I was like, I need to do that. I need to. And I'm like, and that's a very conservative number. And it's, if you really break it down, if you did do a panel a day, you would have somewhere close to 67 pages done a, a year. 
And I'm like, that's three books. Like I need to do three books a year. So I actually started doing a panel a day now and it's helped out quite a bit. I'm going through pages a lot faster and it holds you accountable for something per day. Like, like days where you're like, yeah, I don't really have that much time. I get, I just won't do anything today. Like you, when you, if you think about doing a panel a day, you don't think like that anymore. Or you'll get to a, a point where you're like, I'm in the groove today. It's not also, it's not a, a, a limitation. You don't mm-hmm. only have to do a panel a day. If you have the whole day and you're jamming, do as many panels as you want. But as long as you do one panel a day at the end of the year, you'll end up drawing three books. Mm-hmm. So that's where my focus is right now. It's like, okay, make sure you do at least a panel a day. So, but then there's days where I'm jamming. I'm like, I'm doing at least a panel and a half, two, two panels, you know? And so it's just, it's cool. And it's keeping me focused and on task. Nice. Nice. That's always good to hear. Now, uh, I'm going to be seeing you in small press at the, uh, comic fest this year, right? Comic fest is my favorite show. Yeah. It's so easy. Like, like the bigger shows are, are more problematic. Comic Fest, it's like your overhead's super low, especially since we're mostly San Diego based out here, right? Mm-hmm. Like, every, at least I am. So um, it's like, all right, well, I don't have to worry about a hotel or like trying to bum, you know, a room or a, a, a couch from a friend up in LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I said, the overhead's low. And then plus, everyone there wants to buy comics or, or you know, art or something. It's like, like San Diego, it's, it's a little bit more difficult because you have people that are there just because, Oh, it's comic con. It's the thing to do around this time of year. Um, unless you're in small press, which I, I learned this year or, or last year, we, we got small press for the accidental aliens for the first time and we sold, Oh shoot. I forgot the number. I think around 200 books. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's freaking rad. So, um, it was just like, it's so different because if you do artist alley, at San Diego Comic-Con, I barely sell any books. I think I sell 16 books for the week, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just like people aren't there for books. They're there for art. They're there for original drawings uh, or prints mm-hmm. uh, when you're an artist. Probably. That's all they're looking to do and, and or looking to pick up. And, like, I do, I do Artist Alley and I'll do the prints, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I have a ton of prints. But it's it's not what I really like doing. I do prints because I know that's what people want to buy. Right. And comics comics fund comics for me. So like or art funds comics for me. So the amount of money I spend on printing books and paying my colorist and letterers, um, my flatters, and it's like that that money is all it's all house money because every every dollar I make off of a print or anything like that or off of a book, there's I have an account that's just for that. So it's just like if I'm to print something, you know, or it's it's coming out of that fund. So it just constantly feeds itself. So um, my government job takes care of all of the bills and my comic job takes care of itself. So it's yeah. But but I really like doing small press or um, in in com, uh, Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con, because people are actually buying books. They were like excited when we would tell them about our books. What are you most excited about this year at Comic Fest? Selling books. Like yeah. that's that's the thing I'm most excited about. I like I like people that wanna read my stories. Like yeah. that really it's really exciting to me. It's nice to make money off of this stuff, but the ultimate goal is to 
for people to read these stories. Like that's the most important thing. It's like, like, I feel like that's why we should all be making comics is, is we're storytellers. Mm-hmm. Like that was for wrestling with me and comics. I'm, that's who I am. I'm a storyteller. It's, yeah. it's when I'm putting a match together, there's a story that I'm telling with each match. And, um, you know, same with comics. It's like, I'm, I'm telling these stories because I think they're good. Like the best thing I ever heard a creator say, one of the best things was uh, Eric Larson. He said, you should be making the comic that you want to read. If you're not doing that, you're doing it wrong. Right. And, and I was like, yeah, fucking a, like, why wouldn't you, <laughs> you know, it was like me with my wrestling for years. I wasn't having the matches that I wanted to have. I thought I was having the matches that everyone else wanted me to have. And I figured it out at the end. And so with comics, it's like, I'm not going to do that. Like I'm telling the stories that I want to tell. And, and so with second shift and wanderers, it's like, that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm getting to tell the stories that I want to tell. And hopefully people out there want to read them too. Yeah. Yeah. It's really exciting. Uh, cause comic fest or, or actually horrorgasm too. I met people who actually really liked my series and I, I honestly right. thought they were making fun of me because <laughs> I'm just not used to that. Why that? <laughs> like whenever somebody says like, Oh my God, this is really good. I, I hear, Oh, this is really good. And that, kind of thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so, so it took me a second to go like, artist thing. I think <laughs> one of our studio mates, that's, she would kind of do that and we kind of talked her out of doing that she would um tell people like oh this is my story and whatever uh, i really didn't like that i did this i, I really didn't like how this looking came out and i'm like what are you doing like why are you <laughs> telling it's like tell us tell us you can tell us like yeah. oh god i really wish i could redo that and then because we can relate we know we know how she feels we may not agree with her saying it like we like that looks fine i don't know what you're talking about but we understand the feeling right mm-hmm. but if you're telling a potential customer that you don't like what you're trying to sell them then why would they yeah, want it they don't it, want it <laughs> no no i always keep it internal but it takes me a second to be like wait really like this is actually yeah. happening <laughs> but yeah. um i do want to tell you if you want uh the a a free kind of exploration into the Lost Red universe, there is Creeping Wave Radio, which is sort of the expansion of uh, Lost Red, and that's a podcast. It's the sister podcast to this one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And so now you are part of the Lost Red universe, which means that at some point, like, you, you could get dragged in by demons or Soviet vampires, or you're okay with this, right? You've opened mm-hmm. yourself up to that. So I, I knew what I was getting myself into. Okay. Good deal. Good deal. Okay. Well, thank you for being with us tonight, Scott. Is there anything else that you want to let people know? Any messages you want to give for aspiring comic book artists or wrestlers out there? Uh, If you're going to wrestle, take it seriously. Mm -hmm. Work out, diet. It is a huge part of wrestling. Um, It took me a couple years to figure that out. And go go whole hog. Don't half-ass it. Yep. Um, the same with comics, you know, it's, it's kind of the same message. If you're a new comic creator, you got to put the time in, you know, it's like, yeah, life comes up, but you got to find time for this stuff. So you, you have to put the work in, there's no shortcuts. You, you got to put the work in. So the more, the more you do it, the better you get at it. So, yeah. And, um, if you like any of this, go to accidentalaliens.com and uh, if either of my titles sound interesting to you. They're there. 
or you can hit me up on social media. I don't have, I need to talk to uh, our webmaster about putting the bundle, second shift bundle pack up there. Um, but if you want the bundle pack, it's 30 bucks shipped in the US. And uh, just hit me up on social media, uh, scottlost at yahoo.com or at scottlost on Twitter or Instagram, uh, facebook.com forward slash scottlost. Uh, you could hit me up and I could get that to you. Or if you just want to check out some, you know, just the trade or something like that, or Wanderers number one, you can go to accidentalaliens.com, pick them up there. We have our anthologies there, the 2018 and 19, and uh, 2020, that will be, the Kickstarter will be coming up in March through April, uh, March 1st through April 1st. So, and uh, yeah, you could back, back that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for being with us tonight, Scott. All right. oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. Hopefully that was somewhat entertaining. I think that was perfect. Okay, Scott. Take care. All Bye. right. See you later. Bye, everyone. Super special thanks to Scott Lost. You can check out Scott on Twitter at Scott Lost or on Instagram at Scott Lost. And then if you want to get him on Facebook, it's a little bit different. It's Scott E. Lost. He's got to change it up. The E is for excellence, probably. No one tells me anything. AccidentalAliens.com is the site that you want to go to if you want to check out those anthologies and Scott's individual storylines. Excellent stuff, by the way. On Facebook, The Accidental Aliens. And on Instagram, Accidental Aliens. So go check them out. Why not? Special thanks, as always, to our legendary announcer, Savage C. Walnar. Great job, Savage. Couldn't do it without you. And, of course, our You Mind theme song is Demilitarized Zone by Ethan Mexell. And it sounds just like a choir of angels singing. If you want to help us out and support the show, go to patreon.com slash lucidnap. I don't know why you wouldn't want to help us. You like this show, right? Ah, you can also do a small one-time donation at buymeacoffee.com slash lucidnap. Or, you know what else you could do? You could go to www.lostbreadcomic.com. You can buy my comic, Lost Bread. You can buy prints. You can buy art. You can buy all sorts of stuff. Or you can commission art of your own. If there's something you'd like me to draw for you, I can do that. You just gotta let me know. I don't know unless you tell me. If That's kind of how it works. Or just follow us. Yes, you can follow us on all of our social media, and also make sure that you check out our sister podcast, Creeping Wave Radio. It's pretty fantastic. It's more of an audio drama, and the plotline from You Mind ties into Creeping Wave Radio, as does the plotline for Lost Bread Comics, so definitely check those out. And you know what? Thank you so much for listening or for watching if you're on YouTube, and special thanks to The Gramerica Show, Nikki Benfield, and Neil our Patreons, who we could not do this without. <laughs> the You Mind is brought to you by LucidNap Productions in cooperation with a hairy old man. Thank you for listening. Bye. How do people who make stuff up for a living make stuff up? New York Times bestseller Jonathan Mayberry told us... Oprah's book club favorite Sue Miller told us... You know, you sort of take a character and make some bad things happen. How do we get them to do that? We colored them, just like at a cocktail party, except through your headphones. Join us every Thursday for the Liars Club Oddcast. A slightly unhinged podcast where storytellers interview other storytellers. Available on Project Entertainment Network, iTunes, and everywhere podcasts are heard. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.